Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Morris Nutt. He is the CEO of Trinity Capital Management based in Germantown, Tennessee. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Morris. Thanks for having me, Jordan. I'm excited to be here today. Just give us a little bit of your background and uh, what you've done to, to be where you are today at Trinity Capital. Uh, sounds great. Well, I started off investing when I was really young. I always knew I would become an advisor, or at least I hoped to, and was fortunate enough to uh, to do that in 1997. I joined my first firm and did that for five years, and I uh, was excited about that opportunity, learned a lot, and then was invited and recruited by Raymond James to become truly independent and coming over to their independent contractor division in 2002, which I did. And then about six years ago in 2017, I opted to become a true fiduciary uh, registered investment advisor and move over to the uh, registered investment advisor division at Raymond James. And I formed my own company, Trinity Capital Management. We're truly independent and uh, Raymond James Services are custodians. So that is uh, where we are today. Very good. We're going to go into in some depth on alternative investments of various types that you like to offer your clients. But before we do that, just give me your overall assessment of where we stand in the markets and the economy now. I mean, the markets have been soaring all year. The Fed Reserve just raised rates again. Inflation seems to be coming down. But what is your assessment of where we stand and is what the market's done appropriate or is it are we too extended here? Yeah, in my personal opinion is, is we are extended here. In fact, I saw an article about a week ago or so that that this is the most expensive adjusted earnings adjusted PE ratio for the market in about 15 years. So I would not be shocked to see some pullback. I, the problem is the market, Jordan, uh, you know, it's hard to answer these types of questions because we're not psychic and, and we're not, you know, perfect weathermen in the markets. But the market can be overvalued for an extended period of time, just like it can be undervalued for an extended period of time. So, you know, the rule of thumb in our business is never really try to predict where the market's going on a day-to-day or, or month-to-month basis. We just try to diversify our clients according to their risk tolerance and their financial goals and, and ride out the storms and make sure they have plenty of cash to get them through the tough times if, if those tough times come about, which they always eventually do. But the good news is the markets eventually historically recover and go on to set new highs. And we're, I think, less than 10% from a new high right here. That doesn't mean we can't pull back at any time, uh, providing investors another buy entry point. But, you know, longer term, I'm very, very bullish on, on the economy and the market. Uh, right here, we are we do seem a bit extended, but that doesn't mean it can't continue to extend for a period of time. And what do you think about bonds? I mean, bonds had a terrible year last year as the Fed was raising rates. The, Red, the Fed has continued to raise rates this year. We have a very inverted yield curve. What is your outlook on the bond market? Well, that's a great question. Historically, when you get an inverted yield curve, that always leads to some sort of recession. You know, it's historically always predicted a recession. I would not doubt that we'll have one at some point. I can't tell you if that's this year or next, but it looks like, you know, it should be forthcoming. Uh, the, the next question is like predicting snow again, to use the weatherman analogy. Uh, we don't know how bad it's going to get or how much we're going to get. So, the, you know, while we will get probably a recession, it could be very mild. I mean, in the last three months, all the experts that we normally turn to in these types of situations 
market historians, et cetera, they were all saying three months ago it was gloom and doom. It's going to be worse than 2008. You know, you need to shield all your assets, run for the hills. And now they're flip-flopping on that opinion and saying, well, it looks more like a mild recession is going to happen, that they're actually going to be able to achieve. When I say they, I mean the Federal Reserve, the dovish or soft landing. And if that happens, and I hope it does for everyone's sake, then, then it's not going to be too bad. But we just don't know what we'll get or how much we'll get, like I said, just like predicting snow. Do you think the Federal Reserve has done the right thing by raising rates from zero to uh, five and a half, five and three quarters now? And do you think that they're going to have more interest rate increases this year? Well, they're talking that there's going to be maybe at least one more increase. You know, guessing what they're going to do is, is like guessing anything. You just don't know if you're going to be right. But it looks like they're leaning toward coming to a close soon, which is bullish for the markets. You know, I always tell my clients the market is a forward looking mechanism. It doesn't necessarily look at what's happening today. It's looking at what's happening 12 months from now. So it's really looking at the last half of 2024. And, and this rally we've experienced the last six months or so maybe because of that very fact that it's looking into 2024 and it pretty much likes what it sees there. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk in, in great detail about alternative investments, but overall, what is the case to put your money in non-stocks, non-bonds, non-cash, not the traditional things, but alternatives? What is the overall case for that before we get into the specifics? Well, let me go back to the bond question. I don't think I fully answered it. You know, bonds, if, if they do peak on interest rate increases over the next few months, if that is a fact, and we don't know, but if that is the case, then you know bonds could provide an opportunity. They've been beaten up when, when interest rates go up, it's a seesaw, bond values go down. So there could be some attractive entry points and certain kinds of bonds moving forward. And, and obviously uh, your listening audience needs to get with their advisor or reach out to someone like us and, and we can help advise you know what types of opportunities there would be. But what I would say is that there is going to be an opportunity at some point uh, for a really good entry point, I believe, in, in bonds. The yields are, are going to be much more attractive here, obviously, because their prices are down. And those prices eventually, as maturities happen over the length of, of the terms, and those bond funds or individual bonds uh, bring that price back up to uh, its equal point. So there could be some good arbitrage opportunity for investors on the bond front. Now, talking switching over to alternatives, you know, alternatives, what we love about them, and hence the name, they are an alternative to traditional stock and bond and cash investing. You know, whether you're looking at the energy arena or tech area or biotech area, or you're looking at private equity uh, or a hedge fund space, any of these different spaces, what's considered real estate, which is considered an alternative strategy, there are many unique opportunities out there. You have to follow the trends. We're big trend followers at Trinity Capital Management. Uh, we love to follow trends and, and whatever that trend is at the moment, we want to be there at the forefront of that so that wave can kind of carry our surfboard you know, into shore and we hit our final destination on time and hopefully safely. So that's what we look at as those trends. And so we, we knew the trend you know, a year or so ago was rising interest rates. You know, so we, we invested accordingly on that. But what's great about alternatives is you can find those trends to, to park money for investors for a period of time to be an alternative to their bond fears and their stock ownership fears so to try to get away from the volatility. Because at the end of the day, investors, 
need to be able to stay in their seat with their seat belt fastened. And the smoother you can make that ride and the less volatile uh, you can help them with that, that aspect of investing, the better that off they are and, and the more peace of mind they have. Uh, let's go with the first alternative investment you, know, you want to speak about, which is advanced insurance strategies. Uh, let's take them one at a time. Premium finance is the first one. So explain how premium finance works and why that's a good place for people to put money. Yeah, it's, it's a great that's a great question. You know, I think that every investor should have a, a, a very effective tax strategy, an income strategy, a growth strategy, a wealth preservation strategy, and an estate planning strategy. And what's great about premium finance uh, is an alternative investment for uh, investors is it really hits on all of those aspects. Um, you, you can save on taxes, not initially, but later because the, the cash value withdrawals into the future potentially are coming out completely tax-free for the investor. Um, you're getting tax-deferred growth on that money as well. It provides the income you're looking for. Uh, it does have the potential to grow inside of the policy uh, along with its mirrored index. It has no downside risk as far as if the market falls, you don't fall on your cash values because even though it's mirrored to an index, it is not directly invested in a index. So you don't have the volatility or the drawdowns that you uh, experience with stocks and bonds. And then it's a wealth preservation strategy because of the component, inherent component of, of a death benefit tied to it. So if let's say a husband buys into a policy and wants to leave that to his spouse, uh, what's nice about that is uh, they can leave that benefit, that death benefit completely tax free uh, to their spouse. So then they have a, a large bucket of money to perhaps apply either to their own policy or a different investment outside of insurance that may be more appropriate for them at that uh, timing of, of the markets and where they may be at that time. What's the minimum you typically need to do a premium finance policy? It's kind of for high income people, right? It, it is. And that's the thing that I want to make sure I make very clear, you know, from a compliance standpoint as well, that anything mentioned on today's call needs to be vetted with your own accountant and tax attorney and, and financial advisor or someone of that uh, esteem. And, and also make sure that you understand it has to fit your, your time horizon, your risk tolerance profile, everything. Everything we're talking about today is very general. It's not specific. It doesn't mean you need to take this information and run out and, and act on it because I don't know your individual situation. And it is it, your individual situation is special and should be customized to what your needs are and your family's needs are or your business needs are going forward. So I want to make sure I put that out there. But, you know, yes, typically higher net worth individuals, what we call accredited investors, qualify to be able to, to take advantage of premium finance uh, insurance policies. The lowest threshold I've seen is, is a $3 million liquid net worth. Uh, you do have to collateralize these types of policies with existing investments. And so you do have to have put up some collateral as well. So three to five million is, is plus is the minimum recommended range uh, to take advantage of this and, and good income because it's really for the investor, Jordan, that comes to me and says, hey, I'm maxing out my 401k or my uh, SEP IRA. I'm uh, maxing out all these other plans available to me, but I still have another fifty or $100,000 a year to put somewhere that, and make it work hard for me. Where should that be? And then you find out when you go through the financial profile for them that they're underinsured, 
They don't have a tax-free income strategy for the future, and they'd love to be able to get some leverage. And what premium finance does for people allows leverage. Uh, we get a bank involved. We, we scour the country for the lowest interest rates. We get a bank involved in basically how the premium finance uh, is structured that for whatever amount you're putting in every year on your premium, the bank's going to put in four to five times that amount to really you know, give you a lot of extra premium going in every year to expand the cash value and get it growing faster for you. So it's a, a way to play catch up in a way if you're if you're older uh you can't be too old to take it out but it's it's a great way to catch up if you will very good we're going to take a break uh, this is jordan goodman of the money answer show my guest this hour is morris nutt he is the ceo of trinity capital management based in germantown tennessee their website is trinitycapitalmanagement.net we'll be back after this nobody likes the guy who says i told you so the guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's MyPassiveIncome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Morris Nutt. He is the CEO of Trinity Capital Management based in Germantown, Tennessee. Their website, trinitycapitalmanagement.net. Welcome back to the show, Morris. Thanks, Jordan. We were talking about insurance strategies. We talked about premium finance. The next one is key person. I guess it used to be called key man insurance, but now I guess it's key person insurance. So explain why you want to do key person insurance for somebody who owns a business. Oh, that's a great question. I'll tell you, this is where you really help people. You know, that's what we love doing is helping people solve issues, even issues they don't realize they have. You know, and business owners, and I am one, we get so busy just taking care of all the details of what the business requires, whether it be payroll or paying bills or 
or uh, you know hiring employees, training employees, managing employees or team members, and then obviously servicing your clients. That sometimes you know the painter needs his house painted, and and this is what I always tell business owners. You know, when we go down the financial profile questions with them. Is you know what are you going to do if something happens to you? And I ask that question of the main business owner. And a lot of times they don't have that answer or they say, oh, my son will take over. My daughter will take over. You know, a child will take over. My wife can handle it, you know, or if, if it's uh, it's the lady, maybe, maybe my husband can take over. Then you find out that their spouse has no interest in or knowledge of, of the business. Uh, maybe they're working in it. Maybe they're not. They just they're just enjoying the fruits of it. But what's great about key man or, or key person insurance, as you aptly said, it should be called today is that you do have a plan if something happens to you as the main business owner and operator that someone can come in with a plan to not just remunerate you and your family that you work so hard to build this wonderful business but to keep it growing and keep it intact uh, taking care of, of your clients which should be your number one concern uh, that there is a continuation plan for the business and and this is where you know this this key person insurance can come in and really help with that you can design it to put golden handcuffs or protect your top executives and business owners uh, you can use it as a benefit to recruit to your company if you're looking to recruit a, a top executive to your company uh, in its competitive situation. There's just many benefits of key person insurance, but the main benefit is protecting your business and protecting your family that built the business uh, or the corporation that built the business. So it can not only continue and grow and take care of shareholders, but it also takes care of the executives and the owners that helped build it from scratch. Have you seen cases either way where an owner died and didn't have key person insurance uh, or uh, the owner died and he did have key person insurance and what the difference was. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it firsthand with my business. You know, I've been doing this 25 plus years and, and that's what I always tell people. I've got lots of stories and that's what, you know, gives us a strategic advantage in helping people when you, you know, it's like the old insurance commercial on TV, you know, uh, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And and that's exactly, you know, what, what we, we bring to the table with these stories because they really happened. Um, and, you know, so I'll give you one example. It was a great friend of mine that was also a client and he passed away suddenly his cancer came back after many years in remission and his wife calls me and gives me the tragic news and I actually served as a pallbearer at his funeral and it was so sad because he was such a great man and such a philanthropic type of man too and she was like Morris what do I do you know because um, he had just become a client for like two years and then he, this happened and uh, he never really mentioned to me about his business structure that he didn't have that in place. And so I ended up helping her uh, find a buyer for the business and we sold the business fortunately, and she did well with that. But it was still, you know, a lot of touch and go and a lot of work on our part to help with that. Had he had that insurance, you know, that all have been taken you know, care of, but it was a situation where it'd been harder for someone like him, a cancer survivor, to get that insurance on him per se. Right. Right. So his wife would have had to have been part of it. So that's an, an ex extreme example, but I want to kind of give you the upsides and downsides of that situation. And then another example is someone did have that. And when they wanted to step out of that role, it was like a golden handcuff situation where the new buyer would continue to pay the benefits on the existing policy. And then that 
take person that's exiting takes the cash value out at their at the leisure. You know, they can take it as tax-free income over their lifetime or for a five-year period, whatever their exit agreement, you know, stated. And that's what I always caution executives to be aware of is, you know, it's not just taking care of of, of the shareholders and, and the business, but also protecting the ones that help build it because it could be a very large benefit for you uh, in your retirement after the exit that this policy is still in force. It's gonna create a good tax deferred and tax-free income for you in the future. And it still allows you to take ownership if that's part of the agreement to allow that death benefit to pass on to your heirs if something were to accidentally happen to you. And I'm a big believer in insurance, Jordan. I was involved in a horrific car wreck about two years ago, almost to the day. Uh, it was August 7th of 21, where I was T-boned by an older gentleman who just locked in on something to his left. He said he never looked at me, never saw me, and never even locked up his brakes. And I was hit T-bone right in the driver's side door. He was going, at, they estimate about 60 miles per hour. And, and, and you know, your life flashes, just like they say in the movies, right before your eyes. I free, freeze framed the truck about to hit me. I, I had presence of mind, thank the Lord to give me presence of mind to turn around, relax, let all the air out of my lungs before I had the impact. And it shattered everything in the car, all the windows and ER was there to take me to the hospital, all that good stuff. But, you know, I, I'm living proof that an accident can come out of left field on you in a heartbeat. So many of your listeners are out there thinking, oh, you know, I'm young or I'm healthy or I'm middle-aged and I'm healthy. I run 20 miles a week or I'm in great shape. I, I've got time to plan for insurance. I'm telling you, you don't. Right. I don't care how young you are, you, you need to have a good portion of your uh, plan in, in life insurance to protect uh, the ones you love. Indeed. Very good. Okay, the next thing you want to talk about is charitable trusts uh, as an income reduction strategy. Um, yeah. So, again, how do those those work? Yeah, basically, you know, a, a charitable trust has been around for a very long time, and, and it's basically or essentially a way to set up your assets to benefit you, your beneficiaries, and a charity all at the same time. It gives you, as the investor, still control over the income or dividend aspect that your portfolio may be producing, but the end goal is to leave the bulk of it to your favorite charity. You know, and here in Memphis area, in Germantown, you know, we, we love St. Jude Children's Hospital because it does so many great things for, for children worldwide and families worldwide that fly in to have their, their kids uh, treated for various types of cancer. And that's a big charity you know, in my heart. And what I'll say about that is, you know, you get about a dollar for dollar, depending on your tax situation, the alternative minimum tax and many other factors that your accountant can help you estimate. But it, you normally get about a dollar for dollar reduction on whatever you donate to a charity like St. Jude's or the Cancer Society or the Diabetic Foundation, et cetera. Uh, but at the end of the day, how would you like to get a multiple of your donation for a tax reduction strategy? You know, there are certain um, charitable foundations out there that are connected to uh, medical companies that do unique community benefit um, type of um, health applications, I would say, um, that give you a four to six times the donation that, that you, you donate to as a credit because of how great this is and what a community benefit it is. It's a, a unique clause in the IRS code a lot of people don't know about, and we have access to such a strategy. And it's just such a great opportunity endorsed by the National Firefighters Association 
good stuff. And, you know, and as investors, when we do this, we want to feel good about what we're doing, Jordan, with our money. We don't just want to get, yes, everybody wants a deduction. Everybody wants to make their money make money. But at the end of the day, I think when you lay your head on your pillow, you want to feel good about your donation that you're actually adding back you know, to your community. And, you know, I think I, I told you that uh, when you were asking me about my business before the show, you said, Morris, you know, what drives you? And I said, well, you got to have a passion. You got to have a purpose. You got to have a process and you have to have fun while you're doing what you do and you have to give back. And that's what's great about the charitable foundations and trust is a way of giving back. Do you think these annuities that a lot of charities offer as a way of getting income out of the assets during your lifetime and then the corpus goes to the charity uh, after you die is a good idea? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, because here's the thing, the negative about turning over assets to a charitable organization is everyone hates the fact that you're gonna give up control. And it's like, oh gosh, Morris, if I do this, I wanna give this charity, but if I do this, you know, I'm losing control of my money. I'm losing control of my income. And that's that's not how it's set up at all. You maintain control of the income and, and, and how that's distributed to you. It's just that you're giving up the bulk of what's remaining at your demise. And uh, that's that's how it's structured. Um, so I don't think it's a bad bad thing at all, but there's different ways, even outside of annuities, you can structure these these things. And, and that's what I would you know speak with investors about if they call me. Again, what would be the minimum you'd need to make it worthwhile setting up a charitable trust? You know, that's a great question. It depends like this particular tax strategy I'm referring to, the minimum is just $50,000 um, to, to greatly reduce, you know, taxes or potential taxes you would pay on income. Okay. Now, as far as charitable trust money, you know, that's it depends on how much you need to put in to, to generate the amount of income that you need. Um, so that's going to be that that output. So the input is determined on the output you need to survive on the income you have to have. Now, if you're super wealthy, you're worth fifty hundred million dollars, then it doesn't matter if you put in five million or ten million because you have enough left over to produce the income you need to maintain your standard of living to the day you die. But for someone in the lower stratosphere on net worth or income, then it's very dependent. Your answer, the, your, your question you're, at, you're asking me, the answer is very dependent on how much income they need to generate. Yes, very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Morris Nutt. He is the CEO of Trinity Capital Management based in Germantown, Tennessee. You can find out more about what he offers at trinitycapitalmanagement.net. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. 
Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Morris Nutt. He is the CEO of Trinity Capital Management based in Germantown, Tennessee. Their website, trinitycapitalmanagement.net. Welcome back to the show, Morris. Thank you so much, Jordan. So there's a relatively new way to save on taxes and also help save the environment where you can invest in government-sponsored green energy projects. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah, it's, it's really unique. You know, this the whole, uh, if, if your investors have heard of ESG, you know, it stands for environmental, social, and governance. And it really has to do with the company's day-to-day activities and how environmentally friendly they are and socially friendly they are and their governance needs to be diversified as well. But because of that act and other acts uh, and the green energy push uh, that's going on currently, there are some opportunities for investors if they're accredited. You know, I have to keep referring back. You you must be accredited to take advantage of some of these opportunities we're mentioning today. We we want to make sure that you realize what an accredited investor is. It, it came from the Regulation D of the Securities Act of 1933. It simply means in today's terms that your annual income, if you file singly, should be 200000 or more the last two years on average, and you expect to make about the same going forward. And if you file jointly, your income needs to be 300000 or more. But you can also qualify if your liquid net worth, which means the value of your IRAs, your 401ks, your investment accounts, your savings accounts, your cash accounts, your CD accounts, your annuities, et cetera, everything added up, cannot count your home. So you exclude your home, your residence, is a million or more what they consider a liquid net worth of a million or more, you do qualify as an accredited investor. And by doing that, you can take advantage of these opportunities that Jordan and I are discussing. And with this particular strategy, you can actually go back in time and amend your tax returns. For example, I was mentioning to Jordan during the break, you know, I had a particular investor that had a huge exit a couple of years ago but he didn't know that these things existed back then. So we, we have a strategy that has to do with solar energy that um, the administration and the, and the IRS uh, anoint that if you invest in it today, you can go back up to three years on your tax returns and amend them and, and get a tax deduction. So there are unique now, I'm not saying that they're voluminous, they are narrow and, and they're very opportunistic, but they do exist where an investor can go back in time up to you know, a reasonable amount of time and uh, get a tax deduction to help offset maybe a potentially large gain that they had. 
So explain how that works. Are you investing in solar or wind projects, or is it a syndication? What is it that you're investing in that allows you to do that? Yeah, you're investing through, you know, almost like a co-op that's investing in the actual project. And by doing that, um, they give you your amount of partnership credits. And then those credits are applied toward reducing uh, potentially your income. I see. So you're getting tax credits out of it. Okay. And, and again, a minimum amount to invest in one of those uh, green energy projects? Yeah, there's somewhere between. Each, each one's different, but I'd say fifty to 100000 plus is the, is the minimums. Okay. Very good. Okay, the next area you think is worth investigating in is private equity. Uh, this is where companies uh, take companies private or do that kind of thing and uh, leverage the balance sheet. So, and explain what the attraction is of private equity as a diversification move instead of just public equity. Oh, absolutely. The, the great thing about private equity, and, and listen, every risk or every investment, I don't care what we're talking about, has inherent risk. It either has inflation risk tax risk, uh, it has time horizon risk, or it has actual market risk. So I want to make sure that we let everybody know that nothing that we're talking about today is absolutely bulletproof guarantee beyond a shadow of a doubt. Everything has risk. Um, you know, it can be inflation risk today. And that's a big thing that's a, the name, number one topic that people ask is, you know, how can we maintain our standard of living in such a high inflationary environment? And, and that's the million dollar question. And that's where alternatives come into play. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So when we talk about, you know, these types of investments, you know, private equity offers investors the opportunity if they qualify as an accredited investor, to invest in, you can do either startup companies, mid-stage companies, five to seven years old, or late-stage companies, say nine or ten years old, that may have some kind of exit potential, meaning that that they would either IPO, go public on the public markets, and and actually unlock their their eventual value, which could give you a potentially good return, or some of them pay you a preferred dividend while you wait it could be a deferred dividend or it could pay out you know quarterly or annually uh, so that's that's another way to generate more current income for those looking for current income or increases in current income and the big the big cherry on top is what everybody wants of course innately as humans we want to grow our estates grow our, our uh, household money and our financial empires and there's that potential as well so you have to look at each one of its own merits and they have to be you know very well vetted um, at the same time uh, there's an opportunity there because it's a company that most people haven't heard of before or it's a niche that they didn't know existed that these companies are taking advantage of and when they can take advantage of those niches and exploit them there's a lot of value potential there so that's that's what we we look for those unique opportunities bring those to our investors and there's also if an investor says well it's, it sounds too risky to me and it may be then you can look at the management route. There are funds of funds out there where you can take advantage of the same thing and hire a professional money manager, and then they go out and they find the opportunities for you in the private space and allow you to passively invest and not worry about the day-to-day -day operations of each company, and you'll be more diversified. Instead of owning three to five companies in this space individually, you may have access to 20 or 30. There'll still be a concentrated portfolio, Jordan, for your investors, but it's, it's an opportunity where they can take advantage of that space. And some of those um, funds that we have access to have a really incredible track record. Of course, the, the criticism of private equity funds is they take these companies private, load them up with debt, 
um, and drive them into the ground. They get their money out, but the employees and the shareholders get wiped out. Is that an unfair criticism? I don't think it's an unfair criticism. What I would have to say or caution people to view the space being painted with a broad brush or too broad of a brush. There are certain examples we can always select in any any area and say, well, you know, look at the, the bank situation out in uh, the Silicon Valley. You know, they had some bank failures and collapses, right? And, right. We, and we don't know that we're done with that. There's going to be a couple more interest rate increases potentially. And if that happens, you can see more midsize or regional banks, you know, have to be, you know, taken out or, or rescued by the by the Fed uh, or, a, or a member bank. And, and that could continue for a while like we saw you know, at a much smaller scale, I believe, but like we saw or experienced back in 2008 to 2012, that was a really precipitous period of time that we saw more bank failures than just about any time in history uh, since the Great Depression. So, you know, you have to know that there's risk in every area. In private equity, as long as you're vetting correctly or have a professional manager has a great track record, you can avoid a lot of the risk. That's also, Jordan, why I want to mention that we never recommend an investor put more than 20% of their liquid net worth in this area because uh, of that very fact of the unknown, right? So if you did have a, a bad experience with that part of your portfolio, you know, it's way less than 20% of your total liquid net worth. So you're not as affected. I'm not saying you'd be happy, but you're, you're not going to be as affected if the other 80% of your net worth is invested in traditional top investments. Private equity is typically a long-term holding that's illiquid. Was it five years minimum? What would you, if you put money into a private equity fund, how long would you expect it to be tied up? Yeah, we, we like to tell clients conservatively, you know, five to seven years. We, if you could be more conservative, you say five to nine years. I've seen exits happen as fast as two or three years, and I've seen it take longer than, than the typical five to seven years where it goes into eight or nine years, especially if you, right before a company wants to exit or be bought out or IPO, let's say there's a market downturn or economic downturn that none of us can control, including the company and, and their officers as well. Well, of course, that's going to extend their their exit time period. And you know, while it's disappointing, you have to be reasonable as an investor to know that it is an illiquid investment. That's why the SEC and, and the governing bodies want you to put in a small amount of your net worth in each one of the ideas and diversify as well and make sure you're staying less than 20% of your liquid net worth, that you can handle a portion of your portfolio being liquid up to a five to nine year period. So what happens is if a company in a private equity portfolio either is taken over or goes public or there's an exit event, it's distributed at that point. They don't reinvest in other companies. Is that the way it works? That's correct. And some of the strategies, even the professionally managed ones, will let you take the physical shares of the companies in their portfolio as they IPO. So uh -huh. you get to control as the investor when you sell those shares. So, you know, I'll just use an example. This is a hypothetical. Let's say that one of those, uh, and this is all hypothetical, if one of those strategies bought Google back in, you know, 94 or whatever, and then they had, you know, their IPO, you know, a ways later, but you, you would get those Google shares deposited in your account. It could be an IRA account or it could be a, a non-IRA account. Then you get to choose when you want to sell a portion or all of that Google. And obviously we know now, because hindsight's perfect, you, you would have loved to have held on to every bit of it exactly. uh, you know but some of these companies are not going to be the googles or the amazons of the world they're going to be smaller companies and that's where the risk comes in right you know a smaller company 
can be, can be taken out by market forces much more quickly. So you have to be very careful in this space, but it also provides a wonderful opportunity, especially if it's a late stage company that has positive EBITDA, you know, that's earnings before interest and taxes and depreciation and amortization. So if you have a company that's doing a lot of revenue and a lot of EBITDA and is growing 30, 50% a year, you know, what's great about private equity is you can get access to companies like that that the market doesn't know about. So therefore there's a lot of uh, unlocked value that hasn't been realized yet in the public market. So that's where the private equity space is so valuable. And one of the strategies we recommend actually buys pre IPO companies uh, at a big discount. So it's a, it's a way to get in even pre IPO. I see, very, very good. Okay, we're gonna take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Morris Nutt. He is the CEO of Trinity Capital Management, based in Germantown, Tennessee. Their website, trinitycapitalmanagement.net. And you can see we're talking about all kinds of alternative investments to traditional stocks, bonds, and cash. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Morris Nutt. He is the CEO at Trinity Capital Management. Uh, their website, trinitycapitalmanagement.net. Welcome back to the show, Morris. Thank you, Jordan. We just talked about private equity. Another thing you recommend are hedge funds or long short funds, as they're called. Now, these are very controversial as well. I mean, there's a ton of money in hedge funds. Uh, it seems as though well, the average hedge fund has not been beating the market or the S&P 500 for a long time. Why would you recommend people put money into hedge funds? Well, I think that you just made the point of why you should consider them, because anytime a category, an asset category underperforms for a good length of time, it's like a baseball player, right? Since we're in baseball season, I'll use that analogy. If you have a lifetime 360 batter and they go through a slump for a period of time, a month or two, where they're batting, say, 260, it's only a matter of time before they break out of that slump and hit over 400 for a while to bring that average right back up. Because, you know, we're all like thermostats. We tend to get back to our average wherever our setting is in life. 
And there's actually been books written about that. And what I, what I love about the hedge fund space, I don't think every hedge fund is, is an opportunity. I don't want anybody to think that. You have to be very, very careful and you have to be very selective. And, and that's what we do. But what I love about it is it's underperformed for so long. You know, Warren Buffett's famous for making the million dollar bet with the, the hedge fund managers and community that they would underperform the S&P after the 08 crash. Uh, for the next 10 years. And obviously that's exactly what happened. The S&P trounced the typical hedge fund. Right. So that's the that's the information you're referring to, correct, Jordan? Right, that's right, for a long well, time. That also presents an opportunity because when hedge funds underperform like that batter I just mentioned for a length of time, it might be a time to be looking at hedge funds, right? You wanna go not to what always is performing the best. I mean, yes, that's momentum investing and there's a lot of uh, philosophies out there and articles have been written. You should always, you know, be investing in momentum and trending investment. And we're trend followers too at Trinity Capital. At the same time, there's there's what wisdom in investing in contrarian plays, sectors that have been out of favor for a very long period of time. And as long as you're buying the, the all-star of those lists, uh, they'll, they'll eventually get their average back. And you just do some calculations of what it's gonna take over the next several years to get their average back. And then that can present some potential opportunity for investors. Also, the fees, typically it's 2 and 20. Uh, they charge 2% and then 20% of the profits. Uh, they have to earn a lot uh, for, for you to get something as well, because that's probably the highest fee structure of any investment out there. Uh, absolutely. And that's why a lot of us in our community, our investor advisor community, avoid a lot of the hedge funds because they're just too expensive to own based on their relative performance. And again, that's why I say it's not every hedge fund you should consider, but you're looking for those top notch ones. In fact, if you look at what the top hedge funds did last year compared to the market or even in, in 21, they killed the market. Um, and, and it was just a matter of time before we started seeing some of that happen. What I'll also say though, is there's other strategies that I would consider a hedge without it having to be a typical hedge fund or in that category. For example, there's a particular energy strategy that we represent that's just very unique. It gives you good tax reduction ability, up to 90% uh, reduction of every dollar you put in uh, this year. You get to take that off of your income for the year. It's not a tax credit, but it's an income reduction strategy to reduce your taxes. But at the same time, if you get in their preferred early discount right now, they'll, they'll pay you 20% a year for at least 10 or 12 years return on, on their dividends. Now you're not getting a return of capital on top of that, Jordan. It's, it's basically the return of capital is in that, embedded in that income. But if you do the math on it, you know, it comes out like a four plus X in the next 10 years and the market would have to average 15% a year to equal that. And I don't know if uh, that's going to happen. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but uh, you know, it's highly doubtful here at the extended uh, areas that we're at. And, um, so there's strategies like that as well that I would consider a hedge. It's a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against uh, income needs. And it's also a hedge with taxes. So there's many ways to approach the hedge fund area. So that's an oil and gas drilling fund that you were referring to there? Yeah, but they're not really uh, drillers. They're actually the financier partners of the big uh, big names you would know in that space. So you're not investing in drillers. You're actually uh, investing in their financial partners. Interesting. Another area you like is real estate. Now, real estate's had a big boom lately, but it kind of came down, particularly commercial real estate and particularly office buildings, because a lot of people used to go to the office and aren't going to the office anymore. So what is your view of particularly commercial real estate as a place to put money now? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's, I want to make it clear. I'm not, I'm not a big in favor of residential right here. I think residential is going to, going to take a step back, uh, a pretty good step back over the next year or two, in my opinion. Um, but what I'll say is in the commercial space, there's some unique opportunities. In fact, some of the top REIT uh, real estate investment trust CEOs, like the Starwood CEO was interviewed two or three months ago, and he said the absolute hottest spot in the economy besides, you know, AI and some of the unique tech areas in place is the private credit lending space and Goldman Sachs has has verified this as well they've been holding conference calls on this space um, so it's just amazing the private credit lending the opportunity is there because the banks have pulled back the reins on loans because of what's going on in the interest rate environment and a lot of the REITs because of their corporate governance and clauses and rules they've had to pull back on their their lending as well so that that presents an incredible opportunity opportunity for certain certain private credit lending strategies out there and um, we we have access to those and what's great about that is the starwood ceo in his article said this is not only the hottest spot outside of the tech community and economy the five to fifteen million dollar loan space is the hottest subsector of that hottest industry. So, you know, credit lending is, is an opportunity for investors to consider if it fits their time horizon and investment goals, and, and they are an accredited investor. So, you would get into that through mortgage REITs, or what would be the way to get into that private capital lending? That would be a, a private company is a, is a way to do that, you know, and they can reach out to me for some names, but it's just, a, it's a great opportunity. And there's some funds out there that also invest in that arena. You know, there's some, there's some different mutual funds getting involved in that arena, but it'll just be like a sleeve of their entire portfolio composition. It won't be like a holistic strategy focus. How about opportunity zone funds? Explain oh, the tax yeah. of those, explain how that works. Yeah, I love Opportunity Zones. It, basically, what Opportunity Zones, they came about um, in the 2018 Tax Relief Act to basically focus on uh, underserved areas in, in your community that need investment. Um, and they have to be in the real estate space. So let's say it's a, uh, an area that's, uh, that's pretty impoverished. Uh, you go in as a company and, and build uh, a new piece of real estate to serve the community, whether it be, you know, apartment complexes or office space or warehouse space, et cetera, and thereby it would qualify for certain government uh, tax credits. So the investor, what he would get or she would get out of that investment in that space would be some, some tax shelters, some immediate tax deductions, and some good income over time, and a lot of the appreciation and in income is tax-free. Mm -hmm. Again, how much would it take to uh, start investing in an Opportunity Zone fund? You know, there, there's, there's funds that actually do it at a very minimal amount, but the typical private strategies I've seen in that space are going to require about, you know, twenty-five dollars to $50,000 or more. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so in general, you're saying to stay away from residential real estate investing now because residence prices have gone up too much and you'd prefer commercial. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and a lot of people, are, I think, are over afraid of, oh, no one's going back to the office anymore. That's not true. You've seen Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan, all the bank CEOs and more CEOs are joining the fray that they've done the studies and, and people, you know, I'm not saying in every industry you're more, um, you know, uh, unproductive being at home. But the studies suggest that when you're held accountable, or at least have some face to face 
um, time in the office that your productivity increases. And so I think that's why a lot of the corporations are trying to get as many people back into the office as possible. Now, we can't control what's going to happen. If we have COVID 2.0 come out, that's going to change the game, obviously. And, and what I would say is it's not really the office space that you're seeing uh, the big opportunity in, even though there's in specific cities, there's opportunity. Most of the sleeves I've looked at that of these private lenders, they're going more into the warehouse space because of Amazon. They're going into cold storage because of COVID. Uh, people are demanding that cold storage of products and food uh, items be held locally. And th that's a big growth arena in, in the area's cold storage. So that's where you're going to see. You're going to see more mixed use and cold storage in a lot of these REITs and private credit funds going forward. In the roughly two minutes we have left, just kind of sum up why somebody should be putting money into alternatives. I mean, we've talked about private equity. We talked about energy programs. We talked about uh, uh, premium finance, a lot of different things. Why should you do that and not just only keep your money in traditional stocks, bonds, and cash? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I would say that the big conundrum that, that led me to go down this path in a heavier uh, area of my practice was several years ago when I looked at, you know, all-time low interest rates, all-time low inflation. And I said, this can't continue. It's been here for about 30 plus years. And I've been very blessed, and so is my generation, that most of us have never paid more than 5% for a mortgage. And now look at it, it's approaching 8%. Uh, depends on your credit scores, all those things. But what I would say is inflation came roaring back, interest rates came roaring back. So I was correcting what I thought would happen. And what I mean by that is, and where I'm going with alternatives is, alternatives can help create larger amounts of income than your typical actuary is going to say that you can generate from a portfolio. For example, you know, they say about 4%, the 4% rule. So if you have a half a million dollar portfolio, they say about 4% or $20,000 a year is what it can comfortably create without you running out of money before you pass away. Some people can cheat it up to 5% depending on your age. In your time horizon, but that's about the limits. And I always thought that was a little ridiculous. In our business, we can't do better for clients than generate that. So where can we find areas that generate not just tax um, strategies and reduction and diversification, but extra income? Maybe it pays six, seven, eight percent a year top preferred income, and that's where you have to go to alts. Very good. Well, thanks so much. We've learned a lot this last hour. My guest has been Morris Nutt. He is the CEO of Trinity Capital Management based in Germantown, Tennessee. You can find out more about what he does at trinitycapitalmanagement.net. Thanks so much. We've really learned a lot during the last hour, Morris. Thank you so much, Jordan, for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.